the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The importance of consistency. And then, how do you go about finding a church? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, happy Wednesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. It is hump day. It doesn't feel like it because uh, we uh, Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend this past week. So it felt like, okay, no, here we go. By the way, this weekend, uh, my son turns, what does he turn? 15. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I had to think about it there. I had to do math. He has the September 11th birthday, right? Poor guy. Poor kid. He wasn't alive for it. But I always tell him, hey, that's you're true. redeeming the day. You know, hey, that's you're right. redeeming that's the day. That's actually good. He is redeeming the day. That's a good way to think about it. Yes. But yes, this weekend is the commemoration. Isn't it amazing that what has it been now? This will be the 21st uh, anniversary of September. Mm. 11- I mean, that does not seem possible. I mean, that is right? so unbelievable. But that makes sense because it was the year Kevin and I were married. We've been married 21 years, so there you go. I mean, that is, so, yeah, that's wild, wild, wild. So yes, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the week, commemorate it, share some stories. Uh, but yes, it, uh, time marches mm. on. That is certainly the mm. case. Yeah. Hey, if wow. you've missed any of our shows this week or any, if you're not able to be with us later in the week, go get our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram at common good talk all right Aubrey, i want to talk about consistency okay and uh why it matters uh in our churches so i'm going to start by talking about kind of a uh a, a christian organization but it's not a church it's dave okay. Ramsey. it's dave okay, ramsey's yeah. organization anybody who is involved in evangelical you know who dave ramsey is right he's the money guy yeah. And many people have gone through Dave Ramsey's money courses. Uh, I use his free every dollar budgeting app. That's what yeah. we use for our family. His big, his big course is Financial Peace University, right? Financial Peace University. Yeah. And at the heart of his teaching is uh, don't go, don't let yourself go into debt, right? Don't yeah. put money on your credit, all this stuff. Yeah. Like stay out of debt is kind of his yeah. deal. Dave Ramsey is also, how do I put this? He's a bombastic personality. How does he that is, sound? That's a, that's great. I think that's accurate. Increasingly so, I would say. You're hearing um, more and more stories. Yeah. There seems to be, uh, with success, seems to be coming some more um, bombasticism. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. The bombastic nature. <laughs> yep. And so here's, this came up. Our friend Bob Smithana wrote this over at Religion News. It was picked up at Church Leaders. Uh, at Dave Ramsey's company, some say sex outside marriage was okay, documents show. So let me tell you the story. Okay. Uh, in early 2019, Dave Ramsey uh, began to think he'd made a terrible mistake. For months, he and other leaders at Ramsey Solutions had been backing Chris Hogan, a best-selling author and speaker for the Franklin, Tennessee Media and Publishing Company, in a dispute with Hogan's wife, who had accused him of adultery. Ramsey had learned of the allegations against Hogan in the fall of 2018 on the eve of a major tour planned for Hogan's Everyday Millionaire book. For Ramsey's solution, the allegations presented a particularly thorny problem. Founded by Ramsey in 1992, the company offers financial advice, famously stern warnings to avoid debt, as we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. with a Christian foundation. Much of its revenue comes from the personal finance courses and books it sells to churches and from his daily radio show. People make money from a daily radio show? Man. What? <laughs> <laughs> the biblical ethic extended to Ramsey Solutions employees. Ramsey personally enforced the company's, quote, righteous living rules, which, among other things, bar premarital and extramarital sexual relationships. Ramsey has been sued by former employees, one who was fired after higher-ups learned she was pregnant without being married, mm. and another who alleges she was terminated for being a lesbian. Uh, In the latter case, the company settled. 
But Hogan was a star with his own slot on the company's radio programming and multiple Mm. books. Rather than fire Hogan, Ramsey and other leaders let Hogan go out on the tour while setting up a, quote, restoration plan for his marriage. That plan failed, and Ramsey began to worry that Hogan had been lying to him. And so uh, he said in a letter, I'm afraid that we're being played after we were warned that he is a world-class liar and manipulator and so on and so forth. And so the, the story goes on and on, and basically some people are calling foul. Yeah, uh, and right. even suing because they got fired, yeah, uh, for a quote unquote company standard that this yep. m- the more prevalent star of the company was not mm. fired for. Yikes. We see this all the time within yep. churches, yeah. And it got me thinking uh, the importance of consistency, the importance mm. of of hypocrisy or lack yeah. of hypocrisy, and the idea of if you're going to have really strict standards. Right. Those standards need to be held to no matter the consequences, correct? All the way down. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, if this is the the route you're going, which I think that that could be up in the air, especially since they aren't a church, but it, that's what they decided. So, okay. it Yeah, you have to be strict all the way down, like from top to bottom or all the way up, I should probably say in this case. And it doesn't matter if it's like the charismatic star who's bringing the money and really, really talented. This is what we're seeing in churches. The talent gets away with toxicity Mm -hmm. and with garbage and ruins the reputation of the company. And then that does hurt the other people. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so I I understand. I mean, it kind of sounds like Dave Ramsey's not taking responsibility, but instead blaming the guy for manipulating him. I think the problem is they knew what happened and they didn't hold him to the same standard that they held their other employees to. And that is that's just frankly problematic. But we see you're right. We see it everywhere. We see yeah. it everywhere. And it's this is the problem of power. Like when people say, oh, there's no such thing as power dynamics. Right. This is a power dynamic right here. The guy on top who's bringing a lot of money, who's very talented and charismatic, is getting away with things other people can't, who don't have as much power. That's a power dynamic. They exist in the world. This That's is right. an example. Uh, so here's some examples of how strict they were at their place. In one case described in the deposition, uh, there was a boyfriend of an employee who was seen coming out of her apartment, quote, in boxer shorts and a blanket to walk the dog early on a weekend morning. Another employee who lived in the same complex saw the boyfriend and reported the incident to his boss. That led mm. the employee with the boyfriend being confronted by her boss and later being fired. Uh, and there was other parts like where the way they figured out the pregnancy one was they did some math and they went, wait a minute, that doesn't mm. add up. And they fired the employee. Every private organization, you can have whatever standards you want, right? Like if you want to say, yeah, I know there are laws. You can't have whatever standards you want, but if you want to have this code, right, right. But if you want to have this code of conduct, but man, you're going to get yourself in trouble if you don't keep to them. Yeah. And Aubrey, I think you said it correctly. The day has to be over at churches, at Christian organizations at other places that if you're not willing to hold the highest person to these standards, then don't hold anybody to the standards. Don't hold anybody else to them. Just, or, I mean, yeah, go or ahead. I suppose this is, this feels dirty, but, or I suppose go, listen, this is the standard from this level of the company down yeah. and we're yeah. not going to make any bones about it. We're just going right. to say it. Right. But the day has to end where Christian organizations, influential Christian organizations and churches start having double standards for people who are who can make them money, start having yeah. double standards for people yeah. who can advance their company or, the, or right. it just has to stop because it's it's blackening the eye. It's a black eye again for the cause of Christ. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it reeks of hypocrisy. It reeks of a lack of integrity. And I understand some of the dynamics, like an organization like that. Dave Ramsey probably is not aware of the ins and outs of like an employee that he's never met before getting fired. Like, I understand some of that. He's not necessarily culpable in that he wasn't part of the day to day decisions. He's culpable in that this is his organization. This is the culture he's laid out. These are the, uh, the ethics, the morals yes. that he has said, I want my company defined by. And so therefore, yeah, you're right, Brian, you got to hold the, especially I would think the most like, um, seen, 
platformed people in your organization need to be held to that standard more than anybody else. Or like you said, okay, we just know like we're the kind of organization that only holds certain level of employees to this, not everybody else. And at least be honest about that, you know, like at least be honest about your own lack of integrity. This is sad to me. I I don't, these women who are pregnant getting fired, I think is very disturbing. Um, Hopefully, hopefully some things will change, but I don't know. And again, if you're going to have the standard, which I I suggest is problematic, but if you're going to have these standards, they just have to be consistent. They have to be for everybody, uh, whether you're at a organization, a church, a college, whatever else it might be. If you're going to have these high standards, have them for everybody. Aubrey, you just helped me send a uh, a a personal Snapchat, a snap to my daughter at college. You you snapped. That's the verb. You snapped your daughter. Yep, yep. I took a I took a selfie of us to send to her because she'd think it's funny. But uh, this whole world is new to me. She went to college and it was like, "Hey, get on Snapchat. It's another way we could communicate." I don't <sighs> get what these kids are doing these days. <laughs> kids, kids these days. I, I think I told you yesterday that I was in Seattle over the weekend, and one of my uh, I spent some time with one of my really good friends who lives out there. She has two teenage daughters, and the whole time I've noticed she's holding her phone and she's like turning her head and taking a picture, turning her head and taking a picture, looking down, taking. And I'm like, is she just taking selfies constantly? And my friend was like, oh, she's snapping. She's snapping all his friends, or all her friends. So you're literally just like. Boom, boom, boom. Picture sent. Picture sent. It's crazy. It is it's, nuts. It's all but, nuts. But it's it's the way of this day and age. Hey, I guess we're just old. If if I can communicate with my daughter who just left for college and I can see pictures of her and such, I will I will get on the platform. But I only follow my family. I'm not getting into another social media account where I see all this stuff from other people. What if uh what if me or our executive producer Keith Conrad starts snapping? Will you follow us? Ignore. Ignore. <laughs> block <laughs> <gonna happen. laughs> sad boo. there you go all right aubrey we joked yesterday that uh that you and i like to tell people we're both pastors but it's true it's our day job right you and i have both helped plant churches yeah uh this is what we do the radio job is kind of our side job and our second job that is informed by our pastor jobs like mm-hmm. that's why they hired us in the first place to do this radio show to talk as from the pastoral sense And one of the difficult questions for us to wrestle with, because it's not something we've had to do in our life, is how do you pick a church? Mm. So why do you think that's so difficult? Help people. uh, What's your understanding when people are like, oh, I'm just trying to pick a church or find a church? Why in our day and age, especially where we live, why is that so difficult? Well, part of it is there's a lot of options, right? That's especially it. Especially where we live. It, the, it's funny. It's the Midwest. It's not the South, but it is the Bible Belt around here. Like, I mean, there are churches everywhere, which is great. I'm not complaining about it, but it's almost like the more options you have, the harder the decision is because you go to, you know, the big church with the amazing music and the fog machine and the lights and the incredibly clear, charismatic pastor. Do you want to be part of a smaller expression that's a little more intimate where you're very known? Do you want to go to high church? Do you want to go to low church? Do you want to, you know, I mean, there are yeah. so many options. And so you're getting into a situation where you're sort of shopping for preference or I guess feel more than anything else. And you're in a situation in this day and age where like, you don't have to go to the the local neighborhood church. You don't have to go to the church. That's just a few blocks away. You can drive 30 minutes to the church down the road. You can drive an hour. You know I mean? It's, it's interesting. Like there are a lot of options, which I think makes the decision way more. I don't want to say it makes it harder, but you just, it's like a menu with a lot more options. How do you narrow it down? So I have two quotes for you that I saw on Twitter this past week. Uh, about this subject. And this is what got me thinking about it. Let me read both. In fact, I was going to read the first one, but let me, because of something you just said, let me go to the second one and just get your response to this. This guy's, uh, he's a well-known guy named Paul Washer. Uh, He said this, uh, do not look for the church nearest to your house. Look for the church closest to the Bible. Hmm. I would like you to respond to that because I think it's both, that is both a good and bad sentiment. And I, and I want to yeah, wrestle with that. I, I, uh, why not both? Like, <laughs> I, um, I actually think, and part of it is because I help lead a little neighborhood church. I actually think you should look for a church in your community because, again, uh, Christianity is family. Uh, Christianity is body. And, like, 
We need a people who are situated in a place living for Jesus together. And so I actually mm. think that should be a part of the process, like especially for be intentional about diving into discipleship, disciple making, like you need to be near ish your church. That's an opinion I have. I understand that's a preference. Um, uh, that said, it also needs to be a like Bible proclaiming Bible believing church. So like, yep. don't just yep. go to the church down the street because it's convenient. Make sure it's also your neighborhood church also loves the word of God as the authority uh, uh, over their lives. So I think both need to be true. And my guess is he'd agree with that sentiment, but he's going to hold the um, biblical orthodoxy higher than neighborhood. But I agree Mm, with you, especially in the context we live in where there are a lot of churches. Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens when people drive far, they're driving far for more issues than biblical orthodoxy, right? They're going for programming. Yeah. They're going for the big totally. church. They're going for this. I would yeah. say in that case, find the local church that is holding to the gospel, holding the biblical orthodoxy, and and be in your neighborhood. I think I would go this. All right. Eugene Peterson, Scott Saul's tweet retweeted or tweeted this one, a Eugene Peterson quote, uh, Eugene Peterson, who we quote often here, right? A long obedience in the same direction. Yep. You ready for it, Eugene Peterson, of a simple four-word approach on how to find a church. Ready for Eugene Peterson's advice? Oh, very ready. What does he have to say? Pick one and stay. Oh, come on. Wow. Pick one and stay. What do you think about Eugene Peterson's approach to finding a church? I mean, so simple and yet unbelievably solid. I I mean, I think he's right because part of it is – Part of it is the option of like church shopping and to pick one and stay kind of gets at the heart of, again, what it means to be a part of a church. It really is being a part of a body of believers like growing a Christ together and you have to be invested. You have to stay there. I think the other thing that's assumed in this is like no church is perfect. You're not going to find exactly everything that you're looking for. And really, should that be the point too, right? Like, shouldn't the point be what you're bringing to the table. I I, hmm. I don't know. I think that's fantastic. Now, is it an oversimplification when you're trying to know, like, how do you pick one? Certainly. Like, how do you pick the church that you're going to stay at? But I think that and stay piece is really, really, really important. It is. In the life of a Christian. So uh, you are right that the difficult portion of Peterson's quote there is the pick one. Yeah. Uh, that takes work. That takes prayer. That takes time. Yeah. yeah. But the and stay portion is so important. It's the uh, the grass isn't greener on the other side, right? The mm-hmm. grass is greener where you water it. It's yep. what, how can you be in a, a force of good at a church that you yep. no church is perfect. Yeah. Uh, and what's the old saying? If you find the perfect church, you're going to ruin it when you get there. <laughs> no church is perfect. Yeah. And so I, it's like with marriage, right? The the metaphor breaks down yeah. eventually, but in the sense of you're in a really, really bad spot if you get into a marriage with the uh, thought that I could get out of this at any yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you legally get out of it at any time? Sure. Sure. But if you go into a marriage going, I'm going to get out of this at the first sign of trouble, you're going to end up getting divorced. I was just if thinking you that go, you will. Right. Yeah, if you go into a church going, ah, if if I don't like this, I'm going to leave. You mm-hmm. will leave. Yep. Uh, yep. And that's what I think is Peterson is getting at. So two yeah, good quotes I, there. I, I want to say one more thing too. I think yeah. what people don't realize when they leave a church is they really are they're leaving family. It is in a lot of ways like getting a divorce, and so it should be really like take it seriously, think through it. Don't just leave because you're done with like, oh, I don't like the music anymore. Oh, I have this one disagreement with the pastor. Like really think through the fact that you're leaving a family, a body, a community. And what does that mean? And what if instead you stayed and worked through some of the issues? I I just think God will bless that. That's a good call. That's a good call. So pick one and stay. Good, simple words 
from Eugene Peterson. Aubrey, let's talk parenting. I want to take you back. I think what we're about to listen to is true for all of us. I now have a 13-year-old, a boy who's about to turn 15 this weekend, and an 18-year-old off at college. Wow. You've got three boys who are just like a step below each of mine, right? Yeah, we're like in a season just slightly. So we got a sophomore in high school, seventh grader, and a fifth grader. So we're just a season behind you. Yeah. And the comedian we're about to listen to clearly has a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Uh, and, and I just want you to hear, you said this is one of your husband's favorite, uh, comedians. comedians. His name is Sebastian Maniscalco. He is Did very funny. Maniscalco. Yeah. Very Italian. Very funny. That's right. He feels very East coast to me. He, uh, shot a video of himself while walking to his daughter's, uh, gymnastics the other day. And I want you to hear this because I think it is so, not only is it hilarious, but it is very telling to how many parents feel. Listen to this. This goes out to all the parents out there. I got a five-year-old and I got a three-year-old. And my entire existence revolves around pick up and drop off. That's all I do. Pick up, drop off. At gymnastics now. My wife inside. Now we're going to sit there and half watch our kids do tumbling. The way I look at it, if no one's exhibiting any type of Mary Lou Retton talent, take them out. It's over. What are we going to do? Keep them in here so they got something to do? Growing up, I had nothing to do. Bored out of my mind. And I somehow managed. All right. First of all, hilarious. <laughs> My hilarious. He's like, we're half watching them tumble. <laughs> like, yep. As said, every parent everywhere. Exactly. And I also love that he's like, unless you're. Uh, unless your child has a Mary Lou Retton type of uh, t- <laughs> like, get him out. There's uh, no point. And so it's really funny. You and I, we've all been there. I feel like even more so now than when my kids were three and five, you and I have talked about this before. I feel even more so my life consists of pick up, drop off, pick up, drop off, juggle schedule, drop off. Um, And that can be really difficult, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it's it's exhausting because it feels like you drop them off somewhere. Let's let's say school, for example, which is where you want them to be. But then like the day goes by fast, you're picking them up again and you're taking them to whatever their next activity is or their next, I don't know, lesson of some kind. And it's like good things like you want your kids involved in music and sports. And um, but I don't know, it can it can be so exhausting driving them from place to place to place. And it's not even about just the driving. It's like going from thing to thing to thing to thing to making sure their schedule is always filled with something. And you're just constantly. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier about pastors getting burnout. It's like, no wonder, like families are burnt out too, because we just fill all of our days with so much stuff that it even talking about is making me tired right now. Doesn't it? It does (laughs) make you tired just talking about it. Uh, what do you think? Let's take a little bit more of a serious turn about this towards yeah. parenting. Sometimes it really does feel like all that we do as parents is just carpool and just drive. And yeah. we are taxis and we are eating as quickly as we can and moving on. And let me take it two different ways. First of all, what do you think about his uh, his funny take there that, hey, when we were kids, we were bored, but we managed yeah. What, about, what, yeah. What, what is your take on how much we schedule our kids? Good thing, bad thing. Where's the line there for us? Yeah. One thing that Kevin says that his grandpa always used to say to him is only boring people get bored. And at meaning uh, it's good to have times of boredom because that's when inspiration strikes. Like you get creative. And I have noticed this with my kids, right? So like, let's say it's the summer and we don't have a lot on our schedules. But they will tend to want to fill their times with devices or screens. And so we'll say, no, like you can't do that. You know, you need to be off your screens for most of the day. What we find is during those times, that's when my kids start like literally like making up their own games and writing books and running around the neighborhood. And it's like the the muscle of creativity and imagination and activity really does rise up when Mm -hmm. our kids have space to be quote unquote bored. Yeah. So that said, I do think if your kid, I mean, to have your kid have exercise, be a part of a team, grow in a, in an instrument or whatever it is they're a part of, like 
that's good for their enrichment too. That's good for their social lives. That's good for their skills. So they aren't at home isolated on screens all the time. So there has to be, I feel like balance is always the easy answer, but it does seem like there has to be some type of balance. Space for interruption, for time to just do whatever and be a kid and also like allow them to pursue the things they're excited about. Yeah, that's the difficult thing because I do think we live in a different culture now where to yeah. pursue the things they're excited about seem to take more time and specialization and this and that. And I want my kids to enjoy the things that they enjoy, but I also want them to be kids. And my kids are more a little yeah. older now. Um, and they do get bored. Like we, this weekend, right. I told you one of the beautiful things about Labor Day is we didn't have a ton of stuff to do. And it was, hey, what are you guys going to do? I don't know. Like they're trying to figure out and they eventually figure it out. But yeah. Um, I, there is some sort of line to be walked there, but I'm not sure necessarily how to walk it because right, right. I want our family to have good rhythm. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like it's seasons we do, but there are certainly seasons I don't feel that way. And I don't know if I'm supposed to feel guilty about that or if it's just the way life is now. Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting. Like, I, I do think it's sort of the way life is here, at least in the States. I bet if we went to other countries, we might find it different. And so that might be kind of interesting to, to think about. But I like, for instance, I want my kids, three sons, I want them to have something that they're involved in. So I don't care. It can be a mute. It can be an instrument. It can be a my oldest son is part of like the AV photography filmmaking club at school. It can be a sport. It can be, I want it to be youth group, like pick something. Okay. Be a part of that. It's good for you to be in community, be out in the world doing something because at least for my kids, their, their tendency then is to just be isolated on screens and that's not a good solution, mm -hmm. but also there does need to be space where they don't have anything so they can just be kids. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't exactly know, but I think every family knows what's right for them and for their own children, knows when it's too much, knows when it's too little. And like for you, Brian, I mean, you've got a kid who loves sports. And so you're right. not going to say to him, sorry, you can't be on these teams that you're obsessed with and you're passionate about and you love deeply because I want you to be bored. Like you're not going to do that. That, yes. that doesn't feel like good parenting. And I don't think you should feel guilty for that. So yeah. somehow there has to be. I don't know. I don't know how to answer it. I think each family needs to take a look at what their kids want and what their values are and make decisions that way. I think that's the answer. I yeah. think we need to get to the point where families, like if you're listening to this and you have the same struggles, but you've never talked about it with your spouse right. or your right. kids, that's a problem. Yeah. I think don't get, don't just ride the wave, but instead figure out ways to have the conversation about it, to talk about it. And so hopefully that this maybe will spur you on. And if nothing else, you got a good laugh from a comedian. Okay, Brian, you and I, by nature of having a radio show, uh, every single day, share our takes on things, right? Hot and takes. we share hot takes. It's part of what we do for a living. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I think the nature of radio show, which is nice, is it's dynamic. So like tomorrow we might feel differently than we did right. about something last week. And actually, that's what I wanted to talk about because you and I covered the Matt Chandler story quite a bit last week. And for those of you who missed it, Matt Chandler's a pastor of the village church out in the, is it the Dallas area? Somewhere in yes. Texas. Yep. 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 And Outside of Dallas. very, very well-known pastor. I would say a very respected pastor in many circles. Um, kind of a, he, he could be, he could be categorized as a celebrity pastor in a lot of ways, just because of his influence, the size of his church, et cetera. Um, and Matt Chandler was in a little bit of a, I don't know if I would say it's a controversy, but he would, oh, he, he was yeah. all over the news last week because he took a leave of absence from his church after, um, kind of coming, it came out that he had had frequent and familiar conversations with a woman that was a friend of his and his wife on instant messaging or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and you and I talked about the show quite a bit, kind of speculating what it might mean, what it might not mean, et cetera. Well, what's interesting, Brian, is, you know, we sort of like, we shared the story a few times, talked about it a few times, and then you move on as news cycles do. But I have had so many friends, and part of this is the echo chamber that I'm in on Twitter, who are still talking about this, weighing in on it, um, you know, more and more articles being published about it, more and more blog posts being 
published about it. I've got friends on Voxer or text message saying, hey, can we please talk about Matt Chandler? I'm dying to know what you're, you think. Mm. And, and I started towards the end of last week, I would say on Friday, I started feeling a little bit gross about mm. all of it. Mm-hmm. And I... I just started thinking to myself, I I know I've waited on this. I know I've done it on the show. I don't know that it is right or good or wise for any of us who are outside of that church, outside of that marriage, outside of that community to really have an opinion about it. Like, mm. I... And I'm struggling with this, Brian, because I understand that there do need, we need to have doctors of the church who can look take a, take a kind of perspective approach and uh, comment, critique in a way to build up. But I think what I saw happening was everyone felt like they needed to say something and That's weigh right. in, when frankly it just wasn't their business or their place and simultaneously it made me think that we have this attitude like the church itself has an attitude about the church that is just like giddy and ready to tear her down yeah there and seems I, to I, be i started yeah. to get so disturbed anyway go ahead no you i i think i i kind of got it in my mind the way i said it to you a couple a week ago is that like there's a tmz nature to christian media yeah, right now it yeah. doesn't feel healthy like it's a very fine line right like mm-hmm. you need reporters or this or that who are going to mm-hmm. report the hard stories and hold people accountable i get it i'm not suggesting these stories should never come out matt chandler uh for better or for worse has made himself a public pastor yeah yeah and so when public pastors fall it happens publicly and i'm right. not saying he's fallen but you know but I think it's people who are bringing judgment down that makes me feel so uncomfortable. Like, yeah. you don't know him. You don't right. know his wife. Right. You don't know what's going on. We might find out that he is a scumbag who did all this bad stuff yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But that's not the announcement they made at this point. Right. And so everybody pontificating in a play, in a way that uh, that is done out of arrogance. Yeah, it's that TMZ nature. There seems like this giddiness to jump on the train of when a a person falls. and and. Part of it is because of, you know, oftentimes in these stories, when they start, they end up worse, right? Carl it's Lenz, true. We've Brian covered Houston, some awful Mark. stories. Robbie Zacharias. I mean, that's but an it, extreme version, but yeah. It doesn't mean that that one's going to end this yeah. way. And what we don't have the ability to do anymore in our culture is to say, let me take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Let me wait for the people in the know here yes. to do their investigation. I know everyone's a critic and everyone is a conspiracy theorist. Well, they're going to cover it up. We're Okay, let's find out. Right, let's, right. If that happens, then report on that and do right. that. Um, but you know, you and I mentioned last week about Matt Chandler. There's a chance he did worse stuff, but there's also a chance he that didn't. they're being that they're being unbelievably cautious. Right. And that right. that's to be applauded in some right. way or right. at least dissected in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that nobody is giving that a chance to even be possible. I don't think people think and again, he's a celebrity Christian. I'm using yeah. air quotes, yeah. but he still has kids and he I still know. has a wife this is a wife and yeah. he's still this other woman who he was texting with or IMing with or whatever, uh, still has a family or whatever yeah. else it might be. And yeah. so people just need to be cognizant of that, right? Like not everything here is like TMZ. It's not just right. the TMZ right. world. It's not. And I, I, I guess I just, I mean, even my own spirit, like I was kind of checking this, like, are we quick to be people who in this situation get on our knees and pray for the church and pray for all these families involved? Are we the people who feel like, oh, the world needs to know my opinion. I need to jump on this bandwagon because I want, I don't know, I want to get followers. I want to get likes. I want to get shares. And I I just think it is, it is wise to be quiet. And like Mm -hmm. you said, take your time, take a deep breath, I'm not saying hide anything, but again, if this is not your community, not your pastor, not your world, I just think many of us would do better by not feeling like we need to publicly weigh in, have a hot take on everything, but like use some, use some seasoning and some wisdom and some time before we, before we just jump in. I know this says something about my echo chamber in particular. Like I was talking to Kevin about this and he was like, 
nobody's talking about this on my feeds. And I was like, well, it's definitely the world I'm in. Oh, then. for real? Yeah, which wow. I thought was really interesting. Um, but I just, I don't know. I wanted to kind of revisit that because I, I think I just, there's a word, I think, of caution for us as church people, as Christian people to be about building up the church and be mindful when we're weighing in, is it wise or is it is it not wise? So I'm being everybody's yeah. mom right now, but I'm mothering myself in this as well. So exactly. Uh, there was an article <laughs> by a former Wheaton grad, a speechwriter, former speechwriter for uh, George W. Bush. And he was writing over at the Washington Post. Um, he's an anti-Trump guy, but what I don't really want to focus on that. What I want to focus on is he talks about um, how the ethos of the Jesus movement was anti-elitist. Mm. Okay? okay? And um, talks really about how Jesus often critiqued those who were elitists, especially the religious elites. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about in a few minutes just some of the things that um, this uh, author, you said he's been on the show before, right? No, 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 not him. No, oh, no, no I would love haven't. to. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about some of the things that he says Jesus did preach about and do, but what what do you think he means when he says that? The ethos of the Jesus movement was anti-elitist. Uh, you know, I, I think this gets back to what we were talking about before about politics, right? Like mm. uh, one of the dangers of us just always wanting uh, Christians being like, hey, our role in our culture as politics is uh, that gets to the elite, the uh, the privileged, yeah. the, uh, the powerful. And mm. when you read Jesus's teachings, because it's weird, I think it's a natural inclination for us to want that. But when you read Jesus's teachings, over and over and over again, it is these are the people he's critiquing, right? The religious yeah. elite, who were the religious elite? Those were uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or who is, uh, you know, they they were known to be the elites, uh, the yeah. rich. Jesus went yeah. against all of these. He never said they were being sinful necessarily, right? Uh, but regularly, Jesus was on the side of the downtrodden. Jesus was mm. on the side of those uh, who were being pushed against. And yeah. unfortunately, I think what he's trying to get at uh, the article, not Jesus, I think what the article is trying to get at is somehow over time, we as Christians have tried to um, align ourselves with the elite, with the powerful yeah. and, and long for yeah. that, which is an age old issue, uh, right. but it's not the way of Jesus. Mm. This is Michael Gerson, by the way. I don't know if we said his name. He's the author of this article. He he did say that he says, um, you know, unfortunately, some religious conservatives, their credibility is undermined because of the friends that they keep. And he says that basically um, their political alignment has given exposure and greater legitimacy to some fringe ideas he mentions things like Confederate nostalgia, white nationalism, anti-Semitism, replacement theory, QAnon accusations, etc. And um, basically, he's he's saying like the division between uh, progressive America and what he's calling reactionary America mm -hmm. is is really really divided. And what it feels like is that evangelical Christians are on the wrong side, according to his opinion, meaning, like you said, on the side of the, the powerful and the elite. And instead of following the way of Jesus, which would have been a way of humility and um, not, you know, anti-power, anti-elite. So he, mm -hmm. here's what he goes on to say. And I think this is what I, I kind of want to unpack because you could, you know, you could agree or disagree with his argument about politics and about people in politics. But what he says is this, the ethos of the Jesus movement was anti-elitist, but it's the substance of its critique that mattered and still matters the most. He says that Jesus preached against religious hypocrisy. Mm. And this is a quote from him, the public display of piety that hides inner corruption and imposes a merciless virtue on others. He's talking about the Pharisees here. He says the Pharisees at one point were subjected to seven woes by Jesus. He sums them up in the spirit of this woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, mm -hmm. for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. 
he's kind of wrapping this up saying the idea was not only that the religious figures should practice what they preach, it was that religious observance could divert them from God's true priorities, convincing them that they were righteous when they missed the main points of their faith. Hmm. Uh, that's really fascinating to me. Let me, let me share them all with you, Brian, and then we yeah, can kind of, you know, point out anything that's interesting to us. But the next one, he says that Jesus welcomed social outcasts with whom polite society rejected. A lot of people pull this out about the life of Jesus because it's so fascinating. He says that Jesus welcomed people with leprosy, prostitutes, the mentally disabled, tax collectors, and those in the catch-all category of, quote, sinners. He elevated the status of women who traveled with him throughout Galilee, and he commanded religious and ethnic outsiders, Romans, Samaritans, Canaanites, who displayed genuine faith. Mm. In one of his vivid parables, the town's most, quote, respectable people are invited to a wedding feast, wedding feast, uh, but Jesus basically says, you invited the wrong people. You should have invited the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blame, mm. uh, et cetera. Basically, the outsiders were invited to join the party of Jesus. And then lastly, he says, most important, Jesus proclaimed the arrival of a kingdom. And I think this is what you and I talk about quite a bit, the kingdom of God, demanding mm. first loyalty in the lives of the believers. And this is where I think we can sometimes get mixed up as we forget like whose kingdom we belong to. Yeah. And what he goes on to say is this is a word from Jesus. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. So not power hungry, but a servant of all. I think what so, becomes um, hard about these is yeah, go ahead. how do you actually live these out, right? Like how do you yeah. actually – that's where I struggle with these because I want mm -hmm. to live for Christ's kingdom. I want to yeah. be – a Christ, and I and I think it's just looking in the mirror and asking ourselves questions every day. Like, am I yeah. am I running after what Jesus ran after? Am I valuing yeah. that? I think it's just there's no magic formula to this, right? I think it's just asking us ourselves the hard questions. I think so, and just being aware of of when we are and when we are not. He ends his article by giving some woes of his own. And this may sound a little harsh, but he says, woe to evangelical hypocrisy. He brings up Ravi Zacharias. He brings up uh, Canacook's summer camps. Woe to evangelical exclusion. He talks or exclusion. This, he talks about this attitude that some people have, us versus them, that that's mm. not like Jesus. And then woe to uh, Christian nationalism. And he says, evangelicals broadly confuse the kingdom of God with a Christian America. So interesting things for us to consider. We may not agree on all of it, but I think it is worth asking ourselves, like, are we humbling ourselves the way Jesus did? Or are we caring more about power mm -hmm. for our politics, for our pastors, for even our own hearts? Certainly, certainly um, worth uh, holding up a mirror to ourselves and yes, seeing what our absolutely. intentions are. It is the end of the show, and at the end of every show, we like to bring you something inspiring or challenging, something to put a smile on your face. And I was uh, over at Scott McKnight's blog reading something by Mike Glenn. He's a senior pastor, and uh, he is quoting Larry the Cable Guy. Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> Do you know who Larry the Cable Guy is, Brian? I know. I know of Larry the Cable Guy, yes. So apparently, I, I haven't really watched Larry the Cable Guy, but apparently he's, like, I know who he is. He's a comedian who kind of, uh, like, his audience is blue-collar workers, right? And apparently he has a line where he always says, get her done. Get her done. Uh, yeah. Kevin follows this, like, exercise guru guy, and it's a similar line. He doesn't say get her, get her done, but he says, stay hard. So it's like this is kind of that similar thing, like get her done, no excuses, get the work done you need to do. But here's what I thought was interesting. He he said something uh, not really even related to getting things done at church, mm -hmm. but then he ends up tying it into getting things done at church. So let me let me just read you something he said that I thought was like pretty mind blowing. And then we can talk about what it means to get her done at church. But he says this in every church. Everyone has an opinion on what a, quote, perfect church should look like. Everyone has thoughts about how each ministry should function. In the end, however, theories and thoughts are just that, theories and thoughts. Most of them fall apart when they encounter the stress and unaccounted for variables that are unique to every church. If any ministry is going to work, it will be because a layperson feels a burden and calling from God to do something. 
he's talking about his church. He says, we've learned not to do anything until the ministry has a lay champion. Mm. So before we we dive into that, I want to talk about just where he says, everyone has an opinion on what a perfect church should look like. And (laughs) everyone has thoughts about how each ministry should function. Would you say, I mean, you love your church. I love my church. But would you say in your church experience that is true? Yes. I think that uh, everybody thinks they know exactly what a church should be and that if I were just yeah. in charge, it'd be perfect. You and I started yeah. our own churches. Like we we right. get this uh, <laughs> this idea. In some ways we did that in yeah, a healthy that's way. True. Mm-hmm. In a healthy way, but with the idea of like we're going to do things a little differently because, you know, X, Y, Z. Right. Um, so, yeah, I do think there's this idea of I know how a church should be run. I know what makes for a good church. And that's a dangerous spot to get to. It gets very critique and yeah. uh, And we say it a million times on the show. Uh, there's no perfect church. They are not. Yeah. There's not a perfect yeah. way to do church. There are different styles. There are different thoughts. There are different mm-hmm. theories. But but mm-hmm. uh, show some grace to those who are leading. And and like you yeah. said, roll up your sleeves and get her done. Like help out and, get, and, and help and make your church as good as it can be. One of the things that this made me think of was earlier in today's show when we were talking about how everyone felt like they needed to give their hot take on Matt Chandler. I know this isn't the exact same scenario, but I do Mm -hmm. think even everyone outside of the church has an opinion on what a a perfect church should look like. But really, it is just theories and thoughts, right? Or your own opinion until you actually encounter like what's unique to that church until you roll up your sleeves and you're a part of it. Like you really don't know. You really have no clue. So I, I, anyway, I thought that was interesting, but here's what he goes on to say. Okay. He says that um, at their church, they've recently opened a facility that supports ministry to special needs children and their families. This started when a young couple who had a special needs child pressed our church to do something. We did. We opened a 16,000 square foot building that was filled to capacity almost overnight He goes on to say one of our members became burdened for the deaf in the community. And because of her prodding, our church built a sanctuary, the only sanctuary in the world designed specifically for the deaf. Oh, wow. Listen to this. The floor floats and music is pumped through it so the deaf can, quote, hear the music when they sing. He says the best sound system in our church is in the deaf worship center. Go figure. Then he goes on just to talk about other things that their church does. Preschool workers, children's workers, um, people who run the parking lot ministry and direct traffic. And ultimately what he's saying is church cannot function without these people running ministry. And Mm -hmm. he says that he gets a lot of accolades because of his position as a senior pastor. People see him. they, They hear his title. They'll tell him something wonderful about their church. But what he goes on to say is this. What these friends don't understand is that I probably had nothing to do with whatever the particular event or ministry was that actually impacted them. And he talks about how without committed men and women who show up and do their ministry, their churches would fall apart. His church Mm. would fall apart. I think all of our churches would fall apart. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Oh, gosh, yes. Like the... The my ceiling is so low to what I'm gifted to do yeah. and what I have the bandwidth to do and just what I'm able to do. Like some people, uh, I love what young pastors who think they can do everything and should have mm-hmm. a hand in everything like that makes right. you better or something. The real churches, they're going to grow and they're going to have like um, unique opportunities and stuff as people who make up the church are yeah. serving and dreaming and planning and running. I get most mm-hmm. proud. Sometimes people tell me I delegate too much. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but hmm. um, I love seeing when other people have championed yeah. something and are running something yeah. and I have nothing to do with it and I can just right. celebrate and be like, right. that's awesome. That's great. Isn't that amazing? Because that's people like being the church, right? Like it's not just up to those who are like quote on staff or in professional ministry, but that's like, oh, people are like, being equipped and empowered to do what God has called them to do. Like every pastor should celebrate that. I think that's really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. I think the, I think the, if there's like a lesson here, I think it's this, if you're in a church and you're like, man, I really wish they would do something about blank, fill in the blank. I really wish they would start a ministry for this, or I wish this situation would get better. That is probably 
an insight to you that God may be calling you to be the one to start something or lead something or help get something off the ground. So if that crosses your mind, uh, listener, and you're like, oh, yeah, I have been really bothered that my church hasn't done X, Y, Z. Don't go to your pastor and be like, pastor, I think we need to do X, Y, Z. Go to your pastor and be like, I want to start this. How do you guys feel about this? What can I do to make this happen? And then you gather a team and run with it with your pastor's blessing, your staff's, you know, church staff blessing. And, and that's like any church who doesn't want you to do that. that that's not a good that's church. A problem. Like they should that's be empowering yes. you, equipping you to do that. Cause that's really how uh, God like uses the different gifts and passions he's given us to make the church become the church. And so I think so often like we can get kind of stuck and be like, oh, I wish the church would fix X, Y, Z. Well, again, if you feel burdened and passion for that, assume that's the Holy Spirit inspiring yes. you and get her done, yep. as and, they're saying here at the blog. And go weird, work through the proper channels. Like you might be like, oh, I yes. think we should do this crazy thing. And people are like, no, but don't right, just right. assume, man, I wish my pastor would do this. Mm. Or I wish like our children's director would do this. Mm. Uh, like I said, there are certain things in my church where I know that I am super gifted to do and this, that, but there's other things in our church. I know I'm, I'm a low ceiling if it rides on yeah. me, like I'm a low yeah. ceiling and right. every church needs to recognize that no matter how charismatic your pastor is or whatever. And pastors need to recognize this. Like what are the mm -hmm. things you are the low ceiling on and get those off your plate to other people who could excel yeah. at it. Yeah. And, and, and in one sense, like that's not, that's so healthy and that's so good. That's what the church should be like a group of people on mission together, not assuming it's just the pastor, just the staff members, et cetera. So anyway, good word to all of us. Get her done. There you hey, go. We will be back again tomorrow from four to 6 PM for Brian Fromm. I'm Aubrey Sampson and you've been listening to common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it and i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com